Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. What do we lose when local newspapers shut down or become a shell of what they once were? Today, where we live, we focus on the future of the Hartford Current, one of several newspapers nationwide that could be acquired in a $630 million deal proposed by Alden Global Capital. Industry experts point to what Alden has done to other newspapers it's acquired, like the Denver Post or the Mercury News in San Jose. Aggressive cost-cutting measures are taken, and jobs are eliminated, leaving communities with a dearth in news coverage. Coming up, we talk more about why hedge funds buy up newspapers and why we should care more about it. Joining me now on Zoom is Rebecca Laurie. She covers the city for the Hartford Current, and she's chair of the Hartford Current Guild, which is the union there. Rebecca, welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you for having me again. Also with us is Dave Owens. He was a longtime reporter for the Hartford Current. He left last year. Dave, welcome to where we live. Thanks for having me. I know many people listening subscribe to The Current or maybe once worked at The Current. We want to hear from you, too. Here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Rebecca, I'll start with you. We know The Current's history runs deep. We've all heard it's the oldest continuously published newspaper. But remind us how far back we're talking. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, The Current... Uh, gets to say that we are older than the nation itself. Um, the current has been around for 257 years. It was actually chartered by the state. So this is a historic institution in addition to sort of a, a living you know, history museum trying to put out uh, the stories of today and, and always kind of pulling and, and using that uh, context that we've built over centuries. Uh, Dave, we've heard the the current uh, be called an institution. Uh, so many uh, journalists have come through the Hartford Current. Uh, tell us about when you first started working there. I began there in uh, January of 1994, and there were about 400 people in news, everything from photographers to news assistants to clerks to reporters and editors. And it was a pretty dynamic place. Um, there was a lot of activity a lot of things going on, a lot of reporters out in the field covering news. Mm. Rebecca, you're newer to The Current, but you have been here mm -hmm. for several years now. So talk about what you had known about The Hartford Current before you got the job. I knew that um, obviously it was a historic place. I don't think I actually knew uh, the full story of that, but it it seemed like it was you know, a really strong, vibrant newspaper in like a scrappy, post-industrial New England city. It just seemed like a great place to go and an endless supply of stories. Um, and what was really attractive was how many veteran reporters were still there, people to learn from, uh, a place where you can kind of start, you know, at the bottom as uh, journalists like to do and, and grow and, and maybe build a career there. Mm -hmm. And Dave, when you started working at The Current, what were you doing? 
I began, as most of us did, as a town reporter. I was covering uh, communities out in northwestern Connecticut and uh, doing everything from town council meetings to planning and zoning meetings to police and courts coverage, everything really that uh, a young reporter tackles. I'm glad that you mentioned that, uh, Dave, when I think about, uh, obviously, Connecticut with all of its towns and hamlets, uh, the idea that at one point the current had how many town reporters? And the number is, I, I think it's about a, about 100. It could have been even more. Uh, we had you know, multiple reporters in West Hartford and Hartford and, and Manchester. Several of the larger communities had uh, two reporters. Some had three. And then there were reporters assigned uh, to single towns. Uh, you know, we had a, a system where we called towns A towns, B towns, C towns, and that depended on the number of reporters and how many stories were expected from those communities each day. Um, and it, it was great. It was it was uh, there were a lot of reporters out there beating the bushes and, and writing lots of good stories. Mm. Rebecca, when we think about the, the staff that's uh, still at the current. Uh, any specific town reporters beyond covering some of the major cities? We actually only have three reporters who are covering the you know towns of the capital region, uh, which means that there's no you know one town that that really has the coverage it deserves. Um, they all are kind of sharing these things and tackling important local stories uh, in, a, in a triage fashion, um, which is really a far cry from. The, the bureaus that we hear about, you know, you can't really go out with a, a longtime uh, Hartford Current reporter or former reporter for coffee or a drink and not hear stories about the, the full bureaus that they used to have in some of these communities. Um, so I, we're down to three now. Wow. You're hearing Rebecca Laurie again. Uh, she covers the city of Hartford for the Hartford Current. She's also chair of the Hartford Current Guild as we talk about what has happened uh, to the Hartford Current and this greater conversation about uh, the decline of newspapers uh, in our country. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Dave Owens is also here. He was a longtime reporter for the Hartford Current uh, for 26 years. Um, Rebecca, I mentioned Alden uh, earlier earlier in the show, and we know that mergers and acquisitions happen all the time, but why is this proposed takeover uh, so uh, different in terms of when we think about the future of a place like The Current? Alton just has a, a game plan that's really well documented, and they go far beyond other companies in trying to extract a reasonable profit from a newspaper. I mean, the Hartford Current is profitable, but this company, Alden, it tries to get, you know, in, in Pennsylvania, actually, there are uh, three union representative newspapers there that they were extracting a 30% profit margin from, which is just not realistic, you know, in this day and time. Right now, um, the Tribune papers make about 10 to 13% profits. And we've already heard from higher ups um, in Chicago that Alden is going to seek at least 20%. And we, we know that they're going to do this by continuing to cut. So we're going to continue to be smaller and we're going to continue to be squeezed for even more money. And that's just a recipe for disaster for the Hartford Current. When we think about your parent company, uh, Tribune, uh, even uh, before Alden came into the picture, there were a lot of different restructurings that have happened and uh, positions that were lost. Dave, can you uh, provide some context on, on what was seen uh, you know, about 10 years ago even? 
Sure. The um, the first buyout, well, the current prided itself forever on never having had a layoff. So the, the initial job reductions came in the form of buyouts. And the first one was in 1995. And they have been on a relatively regular basis since then, uh, every couple years. Uh, at points, they would accelerate to the point where we just kept losing people and, and good people, um, layoffs where we would just be mystified at uh, contributors, you know, good people, hardworking people who we lost. And it was just this painful, painful process. And and I know that a lot of the reporters, a lot of the editors um, felt like they were living with the sword of Damocles hanging over their heads. You know, is, am, am, am I going to survive the next round? Am I going to? Am I going to survive the next um, uh, layoff, the next uh, uh, cut? And it just made it a very stressful environment. But but I should also point out that despite all of that, the reporters, the editors remained focused on what was important, and that was serving the readers. And that never uh, – and even today, uh, it's a much smaller staff, but – the focus is is serving the readers, serving the community. Uh, the staff at the Hartford Current runs through walls every day, and it's it's focuses on service. It's a good group of people who really care about this community. You can join our conversation eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Bill's calling in from Hartford. Bill, go ahead. You're on the show. Yes. Is it, uh, so I. Um, had a, a part-time job after a, during high school at the in the mailroom of the current. So, you know, my memories of, of the institutions uh, was uh, limited to, to that area. I know at the time I had some inclination to go into journalism, but I never did. And, uh, and so I just, uh, you know, my, my impressions were these huge presses rolling all night long uh, producing a paper. Uh, for the uh, next day's edition. Mm. Well, Bill, thank so you. So I for don't have a question. In. I don't have a question. Go ahead. I, I just, but you wanted to just share your memories uh, back when uh, you were working at the Current in high school. Yes. Are we on already? Yep, you're you're on the radio. Thank you, Bill, uh, for sharing that with us. Uh, uh, Rebecca Laurie, uh, he mentioned uh, the printing press and getting it ready for the first edition. So since Alden has uh, proposed uh, to take over uh, the current as well as other Tribune companies, what has happened? We've, we've, we saw the headlines. The building mm -hmm. um, is, um, there's no newsroom anymore at Broad Street. Yeah. Yeah, it was back in October when we learned that they were going to be closing that printing press that he talked about. I mean, it paints a really, you know, nostalgic image to, to walk out, you know, every night and, and see the, the presses rolling. But it was what was happening uh, just a few months ago still. And that gave us a lot of, I think, confidence that there was still a chance we would keep our newsroom. But once they decided they were going to close that at the end of the year and outsource printing to Springfield, um, laying off uh, 150 employees for the printing operation, I don't think anyone at The Current had any hopes that we would be staying. And, and they did close our newsroom at the end of uh, 2020. I saw I saw Mark Pazniokas uh, right in the mirror, who was a longtime current reporter at one point, that two decades ago, Dave Owens, there were nearly 400 new staff at the current. Yeah, that's 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 what it was like when I got when I got hired. It was it was amazing. Um, 
I, I gotta, I gotta tell you the truth. Not all 400 of those people were working on that hard. We had a lot of people <laughs> who I wondered what they did all day and people who would, who uh, were reporters and you'd see their name in the paper two or three times a year and you wonder what they did all day. But uh, we had a lot of people who worked really, really hard, just like mm -hmm. the staff does today. There's a very of, different time. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of nostalgia, but earlier I had posed the question, what we all lose when we have newspapers uh, shut down or decline so drastically like the current. I was thinking back, Dave, to Josh Kovner, who I got to know over the years. Uh, he, he died uh, last year, but he was a phenomenal reporter. He covered vulnerable communities in our state, like individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities and questions about what happens to them when group homes close, uh, the abuse, the psychiatric patient experienced, uh, whiting forensics, all the stories he did on children and parents in the Department of Children and Families system. Who covers these uh, these agencies now when we have a hollowed out newsroom, Rebecca? That, that's a that's a hard question. Josh was uh, something special. He was a wonderful reporter, and he cared deeply about people who otherwise were cast aside and ignored. And he he was the one who who asked the hard questions about how these people were cared for, how were they treated in our society, and. Mm -hmm. With Josh, with the loss of Josh, we didn't. We we have not had anybody step into that role, and and that's a, an important community that is not getting that doesn't have an, a person who's who's got their back essentially, who, who's looking out for them, who's asking hard questions and and writing stories about them, and yeah. and that's what happens when you have a, a, a wonderful newspaper like the Hartford Current where you had a whole legion of reporters who, who did those kinds of things, who covered state agencies, who covered communities. And when you lose those people, um, there's just no one, no one, no institution can step into the void that's left. It's, it is, there's no one who can really, there's no other institution in my view that can fill that void. That is something that a newspaper does. A newspaper does well. Um, I say newspaper, I mean, I mean the institution, not the printed product, but the, the collection of people with the mission of serving the community. Uh, and um, we just need more people doing that. And we need we need a healthy Hartford Current. Hartford is and Connecticut are better served by a very healthy Hartford Current. And every citizen benefits from a healthy newspaper in this in this community that is out there working hard. Rebecca, I wanted to hear your thoughts and you yeah. know, I wanted to shift and, and find out more about, you know, again, who's doing this work, including investigations. I mean, uh, Dave is exactly right. And he's one of the people that that was also writing, you know, investigative stories. And unfortunately we, we do have a courts reporter. Um, you know, we did fill his position, but we've, we've had 24 positions um, that we've lost in the past uh, since January of 2020, and only two people hired, and only recently two more positions uh, posted, but it often takes months for them to find and, and get new people to start. Um, we weren't exactly surprised that they didn't fill Josh Kovner's job, um, and it's shameful that they didn't uh, see fit to fill something um, that, like you know, Dave said, and like you said, was doing such a public service uh, and work that that isn't necessarily done by, you know, other uh, media in Connecticut because he had carved out that very important, um, you know, place. But 
we we weren't surprised because the current has gone without an investigative editor for a couple of years now and so my concerns are about right now about what we're missing but they're also about the continued you know losses of people who are going elsewhere because they don't see a future at the current i don't know if i would have come to the current if there wasn't you know an investigative editor um you know we lost two investigative uh positions in in the past year um and I, I fear that we're now headed towards a newsroom and perhaps already there where we can't foster journalists like Josh Kovner for the future. So no one's doing that work. And we're facing a situation where things are only going to get worse from here. And, it, and it's that. not just those big jobs either. I mean, the town positions are where you find a lot of these stories about, you know, local corruption that we, we need people watching these communities closely, writing about the schools, writing about the police departments. Um, because those are things people care about really deeply. Rebecca Lurie, I want to definitely continue talking with you as chair of the Hartford Current Guild. I want to thank Dave Owens for coming on again. He was a longtime Hartford Current reporter. Uh, just to share what it was like uh, to work at the Current and the importance of a robust uh, media, uh, especially covering local news. Dave, thank you for your time today. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, Rebecca, I wanted to, to talk more about when we think about the future of The Current and initiatives uh, to help uh, save this newspaper. There's a bill before the Connecticut General Assembly that is calling for allowing the state to intervene if the current's owners were making financial decisions that are not in the public interest. Can, can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, things have gotten interesting in the last um, couple months. This is a, a bill that I'm not sure we'd be able to see in most other places, but with um, the current unique history of being chartered by the state, uh, there's this precedent of the legislature sometimes having a bit of a hand in the current you know, financial situation. So um, this bill would Basically, uh, it's you know complicated, but it would basically stop the current owners, whoever they are, from incurring any debt or issuing dividends as they tend to do that are not in the public interest. It would basically make it harder for Alden Global Capital to do what it wants to do, and, and harder for any predatory owners to to strip us for parts. We did reach out to the Tribune Company. We didn't hear a response from them. And we asked uh, current publisher Andrew Julian, who actually opposed this bill uh, for a statement um, about you know why this would not necessarily, in his view, be a good thing. Uh, in part of his testimony, he wrote, uh, handing the attorney general or superior court judges the authority to decide if a newspaper is acting in the public interest undermines that fundamental tenet, whether it be involving scrutiny of the newspaper's editorial or business decisions and a press whose actions are subject to government review and action is not free. So how do you respond? Well, I hope that one day we have a Hartford Current that is able to make its own decisions financially about what's best for, you know, its its owners and its readers and its employees. But right now, everything, you know, is, is being driven from the the executives in Chicago and, and, the, and Alden itself. Um, and so this is really about stopping people who have everything but the best interest of our community in mind. They want to line their own pockets. They don't want to invest in the newspaper. I think that it's it's only right for Connecticut to recognize the, the threat that that is to you know, civic engagement and to you know, a, a democratic society here and to kind of think of ways that they could try to protect the current. And I don't, 
I don't see anything in this bill that would hinder free press um, or influence our coverage in any way. Again, that's Rebecca Laurie. She's chair of the Hartford Current Guild, the union for uh, journalists uh, there, as we talk about this proposed deal by a hedge fund that wants to buy several newspapers of the Tribune Company, including the Hartford Current. We're going to talk more broadly about uh, what has been seen uh, in the news industry uh, when these companies come in and the effects on communities. You can join us, too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We know the news ecosystem has changed a lot since the last recession. From 2008 to 2017, 45% of newsroom positions have been lost. That's according to Pew. But for companies that are owned by hedge funds, those losses have been even greater. For more context, joining us now on Zoom is Carrie Flynn. She's a media reporter at CNN Business. Carrie, welcome to the show. Hey, Lucy. Thanks for having me today. And uh, as we were talking with Dave and Rebecca, uh, so many connections, local connections to the Hartford Current. You also had a short uh, stint at the Current. Yep, in the summer of 2012, I I didn't I was an intern. I think I was a freelancer there for a month. I just helped out their business section with uh, their top workplaces. And it was a great experience. And so, yeah, I had the benefit of also being inside that newsroom, which, as uh, we heard earlier, unfortunately, no longer exists, or at least is, is not no longer the Hartford Currents building. That's right. So Rebecca Laurie, who's still with us, chair of the Hartford Current Guild, uh, so many of us working from home during the pandemic, but now there's no newsroom for the current. So reporters see this as a long term thing. Yeah, it's Absolutely devastating. I'm sure Rebecca can speak more about it. But the fact that a newspaper and any media organization doesn't actually have a place to, you know, return once we're starting to talk about going back to work. And, you know, luckily at CNN, like I still have this office that I'm looking forward to going back to and seeing my colleagues. And it, it really breaks my heart to hear that people like Rebecca and her colleagues will not have that. Uh, Rebecca Laurie, did you want to add something there? I um, I think it's it started to kind of become clear. To, at first, we were trying to tell people that this was, you know, we, were, we had lost our newsroom. A lot of us, of course, are still working from home. Um, but this is really a decision they've made uh, permanently. There's no plans to bring us back to any uh, physical place once this health crisis has passed. You know, we're we're seeing the horizon now of, of a post-COVID <laughs> uh, world again. And, and we have no hope of going back to a place. And it really does... Um, hinder uh, creativity, collaboration, information sharing. It, it leads to confusion. All the things you don't want uh, a bunch of reporters uh, to be, you know, running around with their heads cut off sometimes. And I think we all know how uh, Zoom and email can not necessarily be the best way to run something as complicated as, as a information sharing <laughs> business. Uh, Carrie Flynn uh, with CNN Business. I bring up uh, the location and the lack of a newsroom because this is also part of Alden Global Capital's uh, strategy, right? So they're buying up these newspapers and they're selling off these buildings. 
Yeah, exactly. As Rebecca mentioned earlier, Alden is a company that really wants to make high profit margins. I, I believe she said earlier that Tribune, you know, is a profitable company, makes about, you know, 10 to 13% profit, but Alden wants much more. And at the same time, to give Tribune credit before Alden, they have been, you know, improving the business. Their last earnings report came out early last month and, you know, things are looking better than they were. And unfortunately, though, part of that is because they've cut millions of dollars from their leases. And it's it's that, you know, pros and cons of sure, there are places that you can cut costs, but does that really mean losing the newsroom and, and losing the benefits that Rebecca just listed? Um, we're, we're not really seeing those those effects yet play out. And long before Alden, uh, we know uh, this shift from traditional print advertising to this digital environment is, you know, another reason why so many uh, newspapers uh, had to restructure uh, even a decade ago. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. Do, do you mind repeating that question again? Oh, I was just talking about even before Alden was coming in oh. and buying up these newspapers, there's been this long decline and because of the shift in print advertising uh, in yes. this digital environment. Definitely. And Tribune Publishing is a fascinating case study of that shift. It was, I believe it was 2016, they actually renamed themselves Tronk, the leadership there. Some new leaders came in and they were like, Tribune had separated from another, uh, the TV stations that were under Tribune Media. So there's Tribune Publishing, Tribune Media, we're going to rename it Tronk. And part of that shift was what you were saying, a move to digital. They're like, you know, it, the money isn't there as much in print advertising. We need to be more of not a digital only, but, a, you know, think more digital first. And so they've rebranded themselves to Tronk and kind of went full in on that. Ended up two years later scrapping that plan and the leadership left for many reasons. But it was really emblematic of what you're saying is that these companies, newspapers overall and, and also other media companies need to rethink their business because Facebook, Google, the tech companies have taken up so much of the advertising revenue and other revenue sources that they relied on for hundreds of years. Uh, Carrie, we've seen other newspapers bought by rich people. And uh, I'm just wondering if you can give us some examples of when this has happened. And you know, has that been a good thing? Yeah, so one of the, I guess, new business models of media organizations, there's, like I said, there's been the shift to trying to get more money off of digital um, and, and being more digital first. But there's also just been some wealthy individuals who have come in and bought some papers. I, I would say probably the most famous example that people probably have heard of before is Jeff Bezos, former CEO of Amazon. Uh, buying the Washington Post. And it's been a fascinating case study. The Washington Post is stronger perhaps than it's ever been. It's it's actually expanding. This past month, they've announced that they're launching new international bureaus. And it's, it's fascinating to hear because more often than not, you hear media companies cutting back on resources and scaling down. So the fact that Jeff Bezos has come in and been willing to help pour money into the Post so therefore they can really make that digital transition it's been fascinating to watch. And of course, it's not the only one. I think another good example of a, a local newspaper is John Henry and his wife, Linda. John Henry is the owner of the Boston Red Sox buying the Boston Globe. And again, they've seen themselves been able to expand. They've, they're now covering Rhode Island, uh, a market that you know was sure they, they had covered before, but they're really investing more in that coverage. And so it's, it's a fascinating case to the fact that it's a hard transition 
media companies are going through right now, needing to shift their businesses. And these wealthy individuals are willing to take on some risk and, and help them move forward. That's Carrie Flynn, media reporter at CNN Business. Rebecca Lurie is also with us. Uh, she covers the city of Hartford for the Hartford Current. She's chair of the Hartford Current Guild. Uh, Rebecca, there is this Save Our Current initiative, uh, hoping to, uh, again, if if the trying to if the Alden acquisition were to happen, like ways that there'd be a way to keep this newspaper thriving. Can you talk about that? Oh, of course. So, um, yeah, we launched our Save Our Current campaign over the summer. Um, we modeled it after a similar um, and, and really bold campaign and at the Baltimore Sun. Um, and I think a lot of people have heard by now that there's, you know, there's an interested buyer for the Baltimore Sun, a philanthropist named Stuart Bainham. And since he, um, you know, came out with his goal of buying the whole company um, with with partners and in, in markets around the country, some other uh, potential uh, buyers, billionaires, and millionaires have come out of the woodwork a bit um, to hopefully join in with him. But our goal is going to stay the same. You know, if Alden is our next uh, owner, then we just are going to keep on, you know, advocating for local civic minded ownership. We've seen that Alden is willing to sell for a price. And so we are just going to kind of change gears. And instead of trying to thwart an Alden takeover, we'll be trying to extricate the current from Alden. Have you been hearing from uh, local investors, buyers, Rebecca? I'm, I am confident that there are, um, you know, people in the, in the, in Hartford, in the Hartford region who, who have the means to do this. Um, the guild has, uh, you know, done outreach on this and, and there are people who are, you know, in communication with Stuart Bainham and are interested in owning the Hartford current. So that's been very encouraging. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at Where We Live. Uh, Carrie, when we when we hear about, again, uh, the wealthy uh, coming in and, you know, they want to be more civic-minded and they understand the importance of, of uh, this news uh, in for communities, but isn't there always the risk uh, that they will, they will also sell uh, uh, when they're also in, in concerned about profit, too? Yeah, I actually wrote a story recently about that. There's, there's this idea, this feeling that, you know, a wealthy individual, perhaps a billionaire, will come in and, and save the paper, but or save any, you know, media organization. But unfortunately, speaking with people inside, it's like, you're still owned by someone, right? And, and that person still can make certain choices that perhaps you don't agree with. Uh, one of the news organizations that I, I profiled in that story was Fortune Magazine, and they're owned by a Thai businessman who's not really, you know, publicly active in the company, but the people there have been disappointed by a lot of the choices there. The same could be said about the Las Vegas Review Journal and the now late Sheldon Alderson. The people there were, again, not happy with that ownership because he was a really powerful man in Las Vegas. And there was a fear that he wanted to own it because he wanted to really influence the coverage, as in make them put him in a good light and his friends in a good light. So there is there is that fear, um, but the, the hope is that, you know, the companies would, the, that the wealthy individuals would treat them better. And one interesting way that Stuart Bainham, as we heard about earlier, is kind of making people feel better is by, buying the Baltimore Sun media group that includes the Baltimore Sun and the Capital Gazette and Annapolis and a few other papers and making it a nonprofit. 
and part of being a nonprofit is obviously it's a tax status. You know, I if I become a subscriber and donate money, I can write it off in my uh, taxes. But it's a little more than that, too, is the fact that you have to be serving the public interest. We heard a lot about that earlier from Rebecca and Dave about how important that is for newspapers. It's essentially a way to hold the leadership and the company accountable. So that's one thing that Stuart Bainham is very much pushing for if he and other wealthy individuals end up winning out on the deal for Tribune over Alden, that they'll you know, want to push and, and have these papers become nonprofits. You're hearing Carrie Flynn, who's a reporter for CNN Business. Also with us, Rebecca Laurie, who's the chair of the Hartford Current Guild, as we talk about uh, what happens uh, to newspapers when hedge funds, companies like Alden Global Capital, uh, come in. Uh, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Doris is calling in from Southbury. Doris, go ahead with your question. Yeah, sure. Uh, you just might have answered it, but I was curious as to when you were talking about quote-unquote rich people taking over a newspaper, uh, does the content change? In, in other words, are reporters encouraged or prevented from writing about certain issues? Mm. Doris, thank you. Rebecca Laurie, do you want to take that one? Um, sure. So, And, and I think Carrie did speak uh, well to this, but um, we, we absolutely agree that a nonprofit or, or perhaps a public benefit corporation would be a good model for the current. Uh, we aren't necessarily saying that it shouldn't make a profit, just that the public interest and, and the sustainable um, organization should be as important to the mission as, you know, the, a the profits you make in any quarter. Um, one of the things that we'd really like to see is hiring of more editors, because I do think that um, a newspaper suffers when you have fewer minds, you know, having those important debates and, and uh, you know, pushing back on any publisher and, and kind of fighting things out. It's, it's a really, um, you know, crucial part of writing the news and, and producing the news every day. And, and we have a lot fewer editors these days. Um, you know, one person directing all of the news of uh, the towns, the city, uh, breaking news, uh, community news, and... Um, investigations is, is just, you know, a lot for the couple people that we have left. And I think that would also go a long way in, um, you know, restoring some some trust in, from our community that there are a lot of people in the room and that we aren't going to be easily influenced by any owner, um, even, you know, a, a white knight who has, you know, our, our gratitude just for, for being there and stepping in. Barbara's calling in from West Hartford. Barbara, go ahead. Hi. Um, I, I just want to clarify, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, and um, so I have been thinking as um, I understand that, you know, newspapers are now competing with so many other media outlets with television, radio, and, of course, social media and, um, and uh, the digital content for, for newspapers. And I, I was wondering if publishers, um, and, you know, as you're talking about the, the idea, the concept of nonprofit, um, if publishers have ever thought of sort of revamping the format, um, I don't particularly like to read on a, a, a laptop or a desktop or my phone. And 
I enjoy the actual physical paper. And, of course, you know, Sundays used to be that was the day where you would just sit with your coffee and, and, and read, the, you know, the, the, the paper from front to back, and you would, that was your quiet time. And I was wondering if publishers had ever thought about perhaps, um, you know, resisting the, you know, the short-form um, writing and actually sort of come back with, with long-form um, articles that are in-depth and um, that people, you know, maybe the, the the paper isn't published daily. Maybe it's published a couple times a week with a big Sunday edition where the articles are longer and in-depth and, and, and explore the issues, international and local, um, so that people, you know, um, you know, instead of just sound bites from the news, get more in-depth explanations about what's happening in the world. That's, those are great points, uh, Barbara. Uh, Carrie, do you want to take that one? And Barbara sounds like the, the kind of person that we, that we love, right, that wants that long-form journalism and is interested in that clickbait on- online. Yeah, there was definitely a smile on my face when Barbara was chatting. And it sounds great. It, it makes me think, you know, I, I cover these, uh, you know, the media industry all the time. And I listen to the New York Times earnings and people always ask, like, when are you going to get rid of print? Essentially, that's, you know, how people think of it is like, when is the New York Times going to let go of print? And they always have to push back that there are people like Barbara, you know, a bunch of people like Barbara who actually enjoy that product. And they're not going to scrap something that enough people enjoy and are going to pay for. And so I think... I think the the best and perhaps this is a cop-out answer but the best thing that i've seen from media companies just being diverse in their revenue sources so again that's pushing away from a reliance on print and a reliance on print advertising but not letting it go you know because there's still money to be made there and also a diversity in their storytelling because yes there are some people who don't have much time in their day and really just want to we've seen the rise of email newsletters and obviously we've seen the rise of podcasts and you know in addition to the strength of radio and people want to digest their news that way but there still are the people like Barbara who want to read those long-form stories and so I think newsrooms are are wanting to do as much as they can of all of that but as Rebecca talked about they need people to do that you know you, you can't have one person manage all those different things and and so I agree the strongest media companies try to accomplish all of that. But but the concern and the issue forward is like, okay, if you, you want to serve all those needs, you need people to do that. So before we run out of time, uh, Carrie Flynn, uh, Rebecca, again, is chair of the current guild. And this is, again, a union representing staffers at the paper. So you can, can you talk about newsroom unionization and you know how that's helped shape the conversation as we're seeing the ownership changing? that question for me or Carrie? Uh, Carrie. I go get Carrie. Oh, sorry. I thought it was for Rebecca. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, no, we've seen a rise of unionization across media organizations. Uh, these probably the last, you know, decade there's, and especially the last couple of years. And so I believe, and Rebecca can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the vast, vast majority, perhaps every single one of the Chicago, uh, the Tribune publishing newspapers are uh, unionized right now. The latest being the New York Daily News. Um, and the reason for these companies to unionize, the staffers to unionize, is that they want protections. You know, a, a benefit of having a union is that uh, employees can just get, you know, better benefits when it comes to healthcare, um, and also better benefits when it comes to severance, unfortunately, if, if the company has to do layoffs. 
Uh, and another thing too is just to continue to hold the company accountable and be a collective voice. You know, there's a reason it's called collective bargaining is the fact that if something is wrong in the company, you can feel more comfortable pushing a statement out there as as a collective force. And so we've seen that that rise. And uh, yeah, I'd love for Rebecca to talk more about it as, as the Hartford Current is one of those newspapers that has unionized. Yeah, absolutely. In, in Tribune Publishing, we only have one left, uh, the, the Sun Sentinel in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and they are, uh, you know, experiencing some of that union busting that you hear about. And I, I can't imagine, you know, with the way things have been going, that it'll be, you know, too long before it is a fully uh, unionized <laughs> company, which is amazing. Um, I think people are just recognizing that it, what, what was going on before wasn't working. You know, there was this real desire, at least in our newsroom, uh, for a long time for people to just put their heads down, work, and, and that's how they were contributing and and they were putting their heart and souls into something that was not loving them back and not loving the community back. Um, and so one thing that I think is really special about our, our union is that it was a lot of uh, veteran reporters who were stepping up and saying, now is the time. I didn't always think it, it would be a good idea for the current, but now is the time and this is the right direction uh, because we don't have other options. Rebecca, we heard from someone on Facebook uh, who who says, are there ways to donate to The Current? I, I'm imagining you're telling, you'd want to say, subscribe to The Current. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we always ask people to subscribe. Um, hopefully one day there will be a nonprofit that people can contribute to. But for now, you know, uh, make sure you're getting the paper however you, you like it. Um, I hope Barbara will give digital a chance because we are still producing some really good long form journalism and and it does get cut for length sometimes in the print product. And, and that is a shame. Um, but, you know, get a digital subscription, get it once a week. You know, uh, that is the best way right now. Meanwhile, you're still dealing with some major challenges. We've already talked about uh, the severe staff reductions, and uh, I imagine morale hasn't been great for some time. I mean, how do you keep going, Rebecca? I think the union has given us a lot of um, strength to kind of fight back against the low morale. Um, I really can't understate, you know, what it has done just for people to be able to talk openly about these issues instead of, you know, having these, you know, depressing conversations, you know, hushed voices in, in little cubicles, um, being able to put out a statement and say that we're, you know, not getting answers about our, our lack of hiring, being able to socially distance gather to say goodbye to the newsroom. Um, those things have helped a lot. And, and it helps knowing that we're still putting out uh, an amazing paper every day that we can be proud of. Well, you know that we have great respect for you and your colleagues. Rebecca Laurie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Carrie Flynn, who's media reporter at CNN Business, is going to stick around. And after the break, we're going to talk more about how media companies, especially local, especially local ones, can survive in a digital world. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Still with us on Zoom, Carrie Flynn, media reporter at CNN Business. Carrie, we've talked a lot about local newspapers that are being gutted, but when we think about this transition, uh, the last, uh, I guess, more than decade now, a decline in ad revenue, how this impacts other digital-first companies. You've written about places like BuzzFeed. What's happened there? Yeah, there's been a lot of a shakeup in, in media uh, for a while now. And, and you know, the issue is we talked a lot about local newspapers, you know, that rely on advertising revenue. So, too, do those digital media companies like BuzzFeed, obviously mostly, you know, online versus the, the print. Uh, and, and the issue is, though, that just a lot of that money is being poured into Facebook and Google and these other tech platforms rather than directly to media companies. It's perhaps because of ease of use, uh, but also because of efficiency for those uh, media buyers. We don't need to go too into the nitty gritty. But um, but yeah, we've seen now BuzzFeed uh, kind of reshape its, its business and have to scale back. You know, I talked about earlier where we're seeing the Washington Post uh, invest more in international bureaus, which is fascinating to see and, and great for news. Unfortunately, BuzzFeed, they have acquired HuffPost, which again, makes them you know a stronger, bigger newsroom. But as part of that acquisition, they've actually cut back on certain areas of coverage and especially that international coverage because they just don't see the money there for them. It's just too competitive of a landscape and they need to focus their resources. And so they've been facing layoffs and are trying to reorient themselves as they enter kind of their their next phase of maturity because BuzzFeed still sounds like this young and, and hip company but you know it's it's what like 15 years old now so it, it needs to kind of get its finances better in order. We just have a couple of minutes left and when we talked about the implications of when a news organization is turned from for-profit to non-profit but there are some examples that are thriving can you tell us briefly about the 19th or Salt Lake Tribune? Yeah, the 19th is a fascinating organization, one that actually launched uh, almost a year ago now is the early of the pandemic, and they cover the intersection of gender and politics. And it was actually started by two of the executives of the Texas Tribune. And so both of them are, are nonprofits. I think they, you know, learned that uh, the Tribune was a successful nonprofit. Why don't we try this again? And and what they're really focused on is making money through subscribers, you know, and or, and donations, you know, so much of their content is free, um, but they're hoping that, you know, people will support them. And, and you know, whether that's donating 19 bucks a month <laughs> going along with the 19th or 19 bucks a year or, you know, more than that. And, and they've done such impressive coverage. And I think it really helps them that unlike BuzzFeed and a lot of other media companies, they don't necessarily need to be chasing clicks because they don't need to go for scale. They really just need to go for quality and, and serving the, the people who are paying for them. Well, you're talking to us here on Public Radio, where uh, we, uh, from inception, have uh, really relied on people uh, as the subscriber model or the member-supported uh, model, uh, that they are part of the community and they should support the community uh, news that they appreciate. And so it's worked so far. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens, uh, uh, Carrie, as we look to see what happens with the Alden deal being finalized. Any last thoughts for us? Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated and I wish I had the answer of what's going to be the future of Tribune Publishing. I it's I wrote a headline back in February when Alden and Tribune announced the deal, you know, that 
Alden's Spying Tribune, it's happening, everyone. It was just like seemingly like the inevitable. But there was one paragraph, one like sentence in that news release was that Stuart Bainham, a name I hadn't heard before, but it was a, a Maryland businessman, was going to buy the Baltimore Sun Media Group. And I'm like, wow, that's fascinating that he's going to spin that out and take it over. And now over the last month, he actually might take it all over with the help of some friends and, and other local ownerships. And uh, we'll, we'll see if that comes to fruition. One one important voice in it all is actually the owner of the LA Times, Dr. Patrick Soon-Shong. He has a lot of, uh, he could veto the deal if he so choose to because he owns a lot of the Tribune. So my colleague chatted with him yesterday and and he has not made a decision yet. So I'm very curious to see what happens, if what he ends up voting on and and the other people who come forward and step up and and perhaps want to make these newspapers not have to be under Alden, but in fact, empowered by local owners. Well, we'll tweet out some links to your great reporting. Carrie Flynn, media reporter at CNN Business, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Lucy. Uh, today's show is produced by Carmen Baskoff, and our technical producer is Kat Pastor. You can download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now, coming up tomorrow, Connecticut resident Martha Hall Kelly back with a new book, Sunflower Sisters. It's the third and final installment following philanthropist Caroline Faraday's family. Remember Lilac Girls? This new book centers on three women during the Civil War. We'll talk to Hall Kelly tomorrow, and we hope you can join us, too.